All right. All aboard the Booze Cruise podcast. <laughs> um, today on the show, we're doing Minority Report. It's been a thousand years since I've seen it and you've never seen it. Uh, yeah, no clue. I legitimately don't think I remember. I know the basic rundown of the premise of the movie, but I don't remember what happened. So can you do you know anything about this movie? No. And to be honest, I thought Tom Cruise had like three movies total. <laughs> and they were all Mission Impossible. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I had to Google Tom Cruise movies. I was like, there's like 50. You're like, what the heck? <laughs> he has had a long, illustrious career. So you don't know anything about this movie. Literally nothing. So based on the title alone, what do you think this movie is about? If I had to guess Minority Report would be, um, <laughs> it'd be a, a general census that's going to be happening in America. Okay. Uh, and they're going to tally up all the different um, races and ethnic backgrounds. Okay. And um, turns out there's a certain minority that's gone missing. Oh. And Tom Cruise has to find this minority. Interesting. Could be like Tibetanese, could be Cambodians. They're gone. Whoever they're just gone. Is, They've yeah, been wiped it, off the face of the... So they're he, just disappeared. Yes. And Tom Cruise is working with the Pentagon. And he <laughs> the government always gets lays involved. that minority yeah. report on the table. It's like, they're missing. <laughs> and that's the first 10 minutes of the movie. That's and then the rest it. of it is him finding this people group. man. <laughs> betting man. Um, oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Um, well, I guess we just have to find out if you're right or not. Because I hope those Cambodians are found. I know, know right? It's going to be really... I hope it's a happy ending. <laughs> I hope they aren't missing forever. <laughs> um, there's only one way to find out, so I think we got to dive right in. Got to hit play. Let's do it. Okay, Jad, what's coming? Double homicide. One male, one female. Killer's male, white 40s. Set up a perimeter and tell them we're on route. I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks. Give the man his hat. The future can be seen. All we have to run on are the images that they produce. We see what they see. There hasn't been a murder in six years. There's nothing wrong with the system. It is perfect. I agree. Murder can be stopped. Tell me exactly what it is you're looking for. Flaws. You ever get any false positives? We are arresting individuals who have broken no law. But they will. The fact that you prevent it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. The system can't be wrong. Wait. You say something, Chief? No. You're in a lot of trouble, John. I have a warrant in my pocket that says murder. Don't run. You don't have to chase me. From 20th Century Fox. He set me up. He set me up. And DreamWorks Pictures. Who's the victim? I've never heard of him. But I'm supposed to kill him in less than 36 hours. He's gonna get a get her. Tom Cruise. I need your help. Keep contain information. I need to know how to get at it. In a Steven Spielberg film. I have to know. I have to find out what happened in my life. You tell me. Who was it set this up? I don't know. How about now? On June 21st, everybody runs. Report. All right. That movie is really long. <laughs> it didn't be I'm as like, long as I thought, though. Okay. Welcome to episode 23 of the Booze Cruise podcast, where we just finished Minority Report. My guest today on the show is none other than Nicholas Fane. Welcome to the podcast. Woo. <laughs> Woo. 
Thank you for having me. Um, Nick and I have known each other. Gosh, when did you start at Kona? I started driving in like 2012. Yeah. So it would have been around that time, 2012, 2013. Yeah. And then you started upstairs at what, 2014? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've been working together for seven years. Nick is like one of my favorite people. I love Nick. Um, We did a lot of traveling together um, on like just 2016 we've been on a lot of trips together yeah. um and i'm not gonna go into the craziest story of both of our lives well not your life my life you've had way crazier experiences and it was pretty crazy <laughs> um but suffice to say uh nick and i survived a tornado together yes um just the two of us fully, which is fully convinced we were gonna die oh my gosh and just like Closer than any coworkers should ever be, which I think made us really good friends. Yeah. <laughs> Tragedy uh, makes people. You know, right. We went on a lot of trips that year. Hmm. Um, Nick actually has a podcast. I'm going to save the story for your podcast because it's a doozy. You What's should. the name of your podcast? It's called Remember When. We haven't yes. done it in a long time, but I want to re- revive it. Yes. So that needs to be a story we tell on yeah. Remember When. That actually be a really good one. I know. It was a doozy. So we, we've we traveled a lot together, just Nick and I, and I've gotten to know Nick really well over the years. And so I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. Thank uh, you. Or we could just, I could have you on my podcast right now and we could switch <laughs> this whole thing up. Let's just re-record it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Digital Campfire <laughs> episode 10 of Remember When. <laughs> I'm here with Jess. He's like, we're going to get multiple uses out of this. Just cut all the stuff about Tom Cruise out of it and you'll be (laughs) fine um that's hilarious so we just we just finished minority report and obviously um you had never seen it Mm -hmm. i literally think i've only seen it once i don't i remembered like the premise and like some of the scenes but for the most part i did not remember details about the movie Mm -hmm. um if you had to give it a score on a scale of one to ten what would you give it Mm. I would say I'd probably give it a 6.5 to a 7. Okay. I was going to say 7. It's a really, really good story. The acting is suspect. Mm-hmm. The special effects do not hold up. <laughs> it's kind of filmed like, like Days of Our Lives. Yeah. <laughs> it's very soap opera. Well, it's funny because so like Steven Spielberg directed this movie. Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg. The Steven Spielberg. And you're like, I read some trivia fact that he gave um, the... Uh, the direction to the cinematographer to make this the dirtiest movie he's ever made. Ooh. And so the cinematography is pretty, it's very Grungy. much, it's very much like early two thousands. Yeah. Overexposed. Yes. Like random shots that shouldn't be handheld and shaky are yes. just because you can tell they had the tripod on like a weak floor where the people were running. I was like, the camera shouldn't be shaking right now. It was grungy. Uh, and I feel like that was just like the look. Mm-hmm. that everybody it was like the handheld was real big because it was like jason Bourne, like all those movies came out um it doesn't really necessarily translate like i I've, i almost would be really interested to see them remake this today because mm. i feel like it would be so much better yeah like i don't think it was bad though no it's so it is a really really interesting story um i was gonna give a seven same kind of similar to you the rotten Tomatoes score so the tomato meter was 90 percent. so that's the critics oh so it's like a nine out of ten that's crazy. That's very high. Um, and then the audience score is an 80%, which is closer to kind of what we gave. Um, so or that's ours are so low. I, I just think it's time and age yeah. of the movie. We've I seen really some do. Things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've seen better stuff. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like 
I know it sounds weird, but I feel like if the acting was like a little bit better, I probably would have scored it a little bit higher. I probably would yeah. have given it an eight. Yeah. Like if they had had some better, like Colin Farrell's good in it. Um, Tom Cruise, I think is good in it. Uh, but all the other supporting actors, I'm like, you're all weird. And none of you are acting like yeah. it's just not, I guess it's like futuristic sci-fi. So it's like, obviously we didn't talk about the fact that it, your prediction was not correct. It was close. <laughs> it was close. Yeah. I mean, he did work for something like the Pentagon. It's true. Um, he did work for a government agency. Yeah. But there, and there was, you know, a small group of people that kind of were not gone missing, but the, the pre-coms or whatever, That's they true. were in prison. They yes. could have been the Cambodians. It's true. So there was, there were a minority of people. Yeah. The and there was a report. Yeah. So yeah, it's true. You're I like, couldn't so. have been anything but further. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I was pretty close. <laughs> um, our drink for tonight's episode. So it's called a milk punch is what it was initially called, but it's made with cognac, which is brandy. So it's spelled C-O-G-N-A-C. And the the precogs wow. in the movie. So it's called the precognac punch because of the precogs. And it's got whole milk in it, bourbon whiskey, brandy, simple syrup, vanilla, and nutmeg for garnish. It was good. Yeah, I loved it. Next time I go to a bar, I'm going to be like, I'll take one precog <laughs> punch. <laughs> You're going to be like, what is that? <laughs> My friend makes them all the time. <laughs> You're like, you kick him out of the bar. <laughs> so I picked this drink for a reason. So Nick and I, just this past holiday season, um, Christmas season, mm -hmm. I found out that you were a huge fan of eggnog. Yes. And I love eggnog specifically when it's spiked. And it's a recent love for me. But there's a big joke around the holidays that I'm like, oh, it's eggnog Jess because I just like a little nightcap of some Evan Williams eggnog. Mm. And you came into the office and you were like, oh, my gosh, I love spiked eggnog, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you have to try this. And um, so I brought you a bottle, which, by the way, was like one of the greatest gifts ever. It's so I great. I milked that thing for so long. <laughs> was, like, <laughs> was that an eggnog joke? Um, <laughs> Brian will appreciate that. I know. I've turned into Brian. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> He can't even have milk. Um, but so I was like, oh, man, when I saw this, I was like, this is great. Um, it has the cognac in it, but it, it really does have three main ingredients, which stand for the different the three precogs. So I was like, that's a that's a cool drink wow. um, for the episode. So that's what we did. It is really it was a delicious drink. It's yeah. like eggnog, but not as thick as eggnog. Yeah, it was super smooth. Yeah, um, I loved I, I like lighter drinks. Like I don't like drinks yes. that are like super. I mean, the drink. You said it was milk punch. It yeah. wasn't as punchy. Yeah. But it was like perfect. It was like a, it was like a sugar cookie. Yes. It oh, was, it's like the sugar cookie it was of cocktails. It's kind of like a little bit of flavor, but yeah. it was just, it was perfect. That's a genius description of that. Um, so I actually like, can you figure out why I picked you for this movie based on a, after having watched it? Mm, that's a question I did not expect. Um, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to throw that my way. Why did you pick me for Minority Report? Yes. Aside from the fact that, like, I just think you would enjoy it, but I think you may not. I It's whatever. I'll tell you if you don't guess. It. Well, I do. I mean, I did go through a big season and I still would consider myself like I love murder mysteries. OK, maybe that's I mean, that could be on the table. Um, and it definitely was like a who done it. Yes, it was. Um, also, it was a what's going on kind of like. <laughs> so, like, uh, um, we had a couple moments while we were watching it where he was like, either that man killed that person or I don't know what's going yeah, on. Or he's very sad. <laughs> right. What the heck is happening? No, um, I, I picked it because um, 
I think it has some interesting philosophical implications. Oh, yes. And in theological implications. So Nick, I didn't want to take it there, but I mean, I definitely was thinking no, that. I want to take it there. Yeah. So Nick is graduating from seminary mm-hmm. and part of like my time at Kona, what I loved was our discussions that we've, we've had over the years. Mm. Um, but I just think you're a really deep thinker and that's what I, I appreciate about you so much is that I feel like you think things through all the way. And so when I was thinking about like, I want to have Nick on the podcast and for me, like you're super funny guy. Like I, your humor is like amazing. It always makes me laugh. We've had so much fun over the years. Um, and I was like, man, I could go easy. I could go easy and pick like a comedy. And then I was like, no, I think, Nick should watch Minority Report because I want to talk about it with him because I think it's similar to some discussions that we've had. Um, And so we'll get into that in a little bit because I kind of want to give like an elevator pitch summary of what the movie's about. I kind of don't want to do what I do for every other podcast, which is like go through the movie step by step. Mm. There's a lot to this movie. Um, And I don't not that it's a waste of our time, but I'm like, I'd rather talk about the, the implications of the movie than the movie itself. I like it. Um, so give us like, can you give like an elevator pitch of just like what the general thing of the movie is? Like yeah, a general a summary. Yeah. Or just a paragraph. Um, yeah. I mean, I think helicopter perspective, the movie, the theme is basically, can you change your future if you were to know it? Yeah. Like, are you in control of your destiny and actually how much in control are you actually? Yeah. Um, so that's the, I think that's the main driving like a thesis statement. Yes. And they try to like show, I mean, yeah. the very first, one of the very first lines or not lines, but scenes is when Tom Cruise is rolling the ball on the the counter and his colleague picks yeah. it up and cause he's trying to prove that, you know, uh, the ball is supposed to fall cause it was predetermined. Right. Therefore the, the officer stepped in and caught it. Yeah. But then the argument's like, well, was the ball ever going to fall then if he caught it? And yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the thesis statement and I'm, I'm already over a paragraph, but <laughs> The movie is about Tom Cruise. He yeah. is a futuristic cop, I think in the year 2067, something yeah, like that. Something like that. Um, and Joel Anderton or John Anderton. John. Yes. yes. His name is John Anderton. Yes. Uh, he's a, he's a police officer, but he's in the pre-crime unit, a, yes. a new uh, division of police force that stop crimes before they happen. The way yeah. they do that is you just see these random people swimming in a pool. They're <laughs> the sleep, sleeping yeah. in a pool. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. At first I saw them, I was like, what am I watching right now? But uh, their whole, I, I guess, police force operates around these things called precogs, which are just yeah. people with gifts and they can see murders that haven't happened yet. Yes. So the police officers can intercept or can tap into their mind and see murders that are getting ready to happen. And they have a limited amount of time to solve the murders and to intercept them. Um, so that's what the movie is about. Yeah, that's, that's, the, pre- really, that's the premise, that's the premise of the premise. movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want me to just go through the whole thing? Or is yeah. That- so like John so Anderton gets. He basically he's the chief. So he kind of sees all the visions play out. And then, you know, you kind of get the gist of it. Like, oh, he's stopping all these murders. And then, oh, no. One time he sees a vision play out and it's him killing a guy. Yeah. That he doesn't know anything about. It's yeah. this dude named something. Leo Owen. Crow. Leo Crow. Yeah. I said Owen. <laughs> Owen <laughs> was close. There was an something. O and a W yeah. in there. <laughs> uh, yeah. But like the thing that he sees, the last thing he sees in the vision is that he is the person killing yes. Leo Crow. And so he's like, oh crap, I gotta go on the run because the pool attendant guy who takes care of the precogs <laughs> right. sees the vision yeah. and he sees that, yeah, John is the suspect. So he he's on the run. 
doesn't understand how he can be the person to kill a person he doesn't know. And then as it's like within two days. Yeah. Like it's something crazy. It's like somebody you kill somebody you didn't know. And it's like within 48 hours. You're like, what? He's like, like, I'd never kill that person. I don't even know him. Yeah. And then um, butterfly effect, you know, one thing after another, he starts to. It's um, like he's trying to prove that it's wrong. Yes. And in trying to prove that he's not going to kill this person as, you know, butterfly effect, the domino effect, uh, as new pieces are introduced in his life, you can start to see up until the very moment, oh, he is going to kill this dude because it ends up being, from his perspective, the person who killed his son, yeah. which is something that... This, like the personal twist on the story yeah. is that like the reason he got into pre-crime was because his son was abducted and then right. and if only supposedly he stopped killed. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and up until the very last second, like the last five minutes, like he has like 36 hours to kill this dude and then yeah. up until the last five minutes, he discovers that this person that he's hunted down, because he just wants to know who he is, why, you know, right. why was he in the vision? This person that he hunts down ends up being the person that kills his son, but wait, he wasn't the person that killed his son. Yeah. And he ends up taking his own life. Was that what happened? So he He's like being framed for a murder. Yeah. So he like, I get the, I apparently like I, the, the assumption is that Colin Farrell, who's like a federal government. So this pre-crime unit is only in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. So like prototyping it in the yeah. city, which I think is weird that they're like, the precogs can only see murders that happen in Washington, yeah. D.C. We operate in a 120 mile radius. <laughs> right? Like it's kind of bizarre, but what, whatever. Um, it's a movie. So you have to throw caution in the wind. But so they, it's only in D.C. And they send in this like federal. He's like he's working with the attorney general. I think mm-hmm. he says at the beginning. So he's like, I'm here on his behalf. And like basically they're like investigating this pre-crime unit because people are going to prison for not committing murder. So like, man, I lived out a lot. Well, no, 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 <laughs> I you did, no, 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 you did the, <laughs> yeah. you did the helicopter view. You did exactly what I asked. And so John Anderton, Tom Cruise's character, like he's like in, in charge of this unit. He's the chief. And so when, so this Colin Farrell guy, like, I think he's the attorney general, like doesn't want this to happen. Like the pre-crime units, like bad news bears. So, which I don't, they don't really ever explain that or yeah. I missed it. Um, but he's like against it. So the Colin Farrell's character is like, I would say like the villain, if there was a villain in the movie and it's, it's kind of like, I guess, but it could have been the mentor guy. Somebody Colin set Farrell up the young dude, the suave dude. Yes. Yeah. He's portrayed as the, um, the antagonist in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. And but. he like, either he set him up or the mentor guy set him up. But basically like, this is just a dude that like, the guy, Leo Crow, the guy he's supposedly going to kill is just some bum that like needs the, to die for the life insurance. Mm-hmm. And so when he doesn't kill him, the guy's like, no, you're supposed to kill me. He like argues with him mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm not going to kill you. And it's like, it's actually like a really, I thought a well acted scene because it's clear that like John Anderton wants to kill him because he killed his son Mm -hmm. but he does the right thing as the cop and he reads him his rights and he's going to take him in he's not going to kill him and the dude grabs the gun and shoots himself which then proves the prediction yeah of the precogs even though technically not at the exact right time yeah they missed it by like 30 seconds yeah and uh so he dies and john anderton is still framed for his murder Mm -hmm. um and the twist is that this mentor guy, Lamar Burgess, that he's, he's been going to is the guy who actually started the pre-crime unit 
actually committed a crime and used the pre-crime unit to cover it up. Mm-hmm. And um, he ends up taking his own life, which actually asked, I like wrote down in my notes. I was like, where are suicides? Where do suicides fall in all of this? So it's mm-hmm. not a murder, but like it's still a death. Well, and that was the one uh, vision that was actually completely wrong. Yes. The yes. very last. So like they have a vision that um, the old guy kills Tom Cruise. Yes. And yes. then no explanation so then i wrote down in my notes like oh did the precogs show them this so that the police force would go to the roof and rescue john yeah rather than if they would have showed that he killed himself maybe it could have looked like john i don't know yeah but so that's my question like this kind of leads me to the discussion i want to talk to you about this where every time there's a murder that's about to happen well the last two times so the one with John Anderton and Leo Crow, the guy he was going to murder and Lamar Burgess, his mentor and John Anderton. Both times it said, you have a choice. You can choose not to murder this person. So it's clear in that moment that neither of them choose what the precogs predicted. Mm -hmm. So I was like, man, this is like it to some degree. This is a little bit of a stretch. To some degree, it's a little bit like predestination Mm -hmm. and omniscience. Mm -hmm. And so what are your thoughts on that? Like, oh, man, that's a can of worms. (laughs) Um, I yeah, I can just jump into like my basic understanding or my subscription to the idea like of can you choose? Yeah. That's what I'm like. I think it's, it asks like, I think this, this movie poses a really interesting question of like free will versus like what we believe is called like election or predestination. Yes, exactly. Which is not the same because it's like about salvation, but it's like, but it does bring up that question of like, do you actually have a, like, I, I would say like the secular term for it would be fate. Yeah. Like does fate exist? Destiny, fate. Like do those things exist? Like, are you destined to live out a certain life or can you choose? And I was like, but so there's a different, there's Mm -hmm. a spiritual side of that, which is predestination. Um, but I was like, Oh, I think this will be interesting to talk about with Nick. Um, yeah. So just cut me off whenever you, whenever you want. (laughs) I (laughs) I think, um, the best way to kind of answer this question is to kind of, like I, I view life as a race mm-hmm. and there's a lot that we can't see, but we can see where we have come from, yeah, yeah, where, where we been. started, yeah. where we are. Yeah. You can kind of get a, a guesstimate where you're yeah. going. So backtrack, which I subscribe to the belief that we actually don't have free will. It yeah. doesn't mean that we can't enjoy. That doesn't mean that we aren't autonomous in the sense of like, I can still like to my, to my best understanding, I picked up this this drink and I drank it and it tastes good. I'm still experiencing my life. Right. But I think that there's just bigger things at play. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so for instance, uh, Plato, Aristotle, they believed that we're all basically just like birds trapped in a cage. Like we can fly around in a certain area, but we, we don't have total freedom to the sky. Yeah. And I think that that's Plato that kind of subscribes to that. Um, but if you think about like me, so like Nick, what did I do to choose to be Caucasian, to choose to be male, to choose to be born in the area that I was born, Northern Kentucky? Um, I, I didn't choose how I started the race. Right. So I'm already off to a bad start in terms of like how in control of my destiny. Right, right, right. Yeah. You're I'm basically, not, you're born out of control. Right. Yeah. Not only that, but like a, 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 a way that I think about today in terms of like, let's just, people always say, well, no, I, I choose 
what I want to eat. I choose what I, where I work, where I go to school, yada, yada, yada. But, um, there's this book that, um, I think it's called, it's like chew on, not, uh, I, I can't think of the title. Uh, maybe you can put it in the description. Yeah. Um, it's basically, it's like, think about this or something. Um, yeah. but it's a Christian perspective of Plato's view of predestination and it's applicable to today. So for instance, it's, do you have freedom to choose what you want to eat? And the question that you you should ask is like, do you even have freedom to choose that you need to eat? No, you're bound by your will and desire and need to eat. Right. You don't have freedom. Right. Your your will is altered by something altering it. So you're you're you choosing to eat isn't even free. Right. Because if you if you're, you're free, like, I'm hungry and I might die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, you have to eat. So <laughs> yeah. that is that's a limitation. Yeah. Sleeping, you have to sleep. It's a limitation. Yeah. There's certain things that you need to do and you need to plan accordingly, or yeah. else like you'll die. Yeah. So in terms of eating, if I choose, I want to go to McDonald's. Well, then the question is, why did I choose to go to McDonald's? Well, it's because there's only 10 options in the area that I can go to (laughs) with the time allotted with the the gas that I have in my tank. Yeah. So that's not free. I only have 10 options. Like my will is determined by my circumstances. Right. So I go to McDonald's. Well, I can choose whatever I want on the menu. No, I can't. I can only choose the 10 options that I see. Yeah. So I, I am always given choices and people think that the choices that you're given equals freedom right but it's not yeah Um, they're within boundaries you're within boundaries but i mean and i would even people would be like okay i see what you're saying but you still have freedom because i still have choices that feels good like yeah i wouldn't even i wouldn't even like say say or subscribe to the fact that like you have choices within your circumstances which i know it doesn't make sense but i'm trying to make it like as vague as I don't, I'm not trying to get too far into it unless yeah. like that's where yeah. you want to go. Um, I believe what is determined will happen. Yeah. Um, and we are just pilgrims passing through who gets to experience and learn and grow from the, the as David puts it in Proverbs, the paths laid before me. Yeah. And, I mean, and I know a lot of people probably, I'm not trying to turn this into a theological Christian No, I asked, podcast, man. But um, Proverbs 16.33 says that, man casts his dice into the lap, but God orders the number. So there's a mystery and like, I get to pick up the dice and I get to roll the dice, but the numbers are determined. Yeah. I think that there is, it's actually more hopeless to believe that my, my future isn't determined. Yeah. Then, cause it's pretty scary to think that like me, like I am. Right. You're the only one deciding your fate. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah, there's this universe and there's these planets hanging and yeah. And they're aligned and they're, orbiting the sun and there's just stars burning like yeah there's little tiny microorganisms inside of me that keep me alive (laughs) and i'm charged with choosing like yeah or in my i'm in control of my destiny i don't know that's terrifying yeah so i take comfort in the fact that like no somebody is yeah ordering my steps it's kind of like the whole you know like obviously like god wants you to be part of that so mm -hmm. like the whole like picking up of the dice and rolling them is like you're there's room for mystery. Yeah. And just like, well, just like your involvement. We're not robots. You mm. know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you, like you're still part of the process, right. but you're not in charge of the results. Right. And so I think that's really cool. But I think too, like the other thing, so we had an interesting discussion at the office. Gosh, I don't know, six, eight months ago. How long was it? Jeffrey was still there. Oh um, yeah. Half a year. Which we, <laughs> so I don't know. We might end up cutting this from the podcast because it might get too like crazy, but I kind of want to talk about it. Okay. Um, you and I have different views on the death penalty. Oh yeah. So we talked at the office about 
the death penalty. And um, so they bring up a, an interesting kind of like, I would say like a moral implication in this movie that these people are arrested for something they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So they haven't committed it yet. They've been stopped from doing it. Do you think if in some, let's say in 20 years, this will never have it, but let's say in 20 years, this is a thing. So we have precogs and they can tell somebody's going to commit a murder. Should they be charged for that crime if they didn't actually do it? See, I, uh, I'll, I can argue both sides to this, but I think that it was actually, I don't remember what you believe on this, but I, I would say that no, they shouldn't be. Yeah. Charged because it didn't happen. Yeah. Therefore that's what was going to happen. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a direct correlation to the death penalty thing, but I think like, yeah. Cause I mean like, obviously if somebody has the death penalty, then it's been proven that they yeah, yeah, yeah. like, well, and I don't somebody. even know like that. Um, I can argue for the death penalty, yeah. but I would never enforce the death penalty. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I think that was a discussion we have where you're yeah, like, yeah. I can see where people, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I could see where people would be for it. But, um, it's just interesting from like a Christian perspective to mm-hmm. say like, you know, I think actually, I think me and Jeffrey got into it. It was Jeffrey. That's what I was yeah. saying. Cause I'm more of I like, I don't think it was you. I think it was Jeffrey. But I can, for the sake of the argument, like yeah. I could argue it. Yeah. Like, but, but I was, I was very much like, I don't know. Like if you believe scripture, like mercy is like what you should mm-hmm. be like, you know, whatever. And he was like, no, like whatever. I think it's, he was just like antagonistically, like arguing the other side of it. I think it's Malachi. It's like mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if yeah. it's Malachi, but, but so, but, but, but to infer, so my point was like inferring that like take on like what I would consider the, because I mean, they show a prison, which I think this is interesting. So John Anderton, um, gets caught for his pre-crime that he actually commits. Mm-hmm. So that's like something else that's different is like, he actually follows through with it. They don't catch him in time, but he didn't commit it. So mm-hmm. it's weird. Um, and he goes in like a cell, which you called a tube of toothpaste. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Prison looks awful. They're just like in this tube, but there's other names on the list that housed that tube at one point. So I'm assuming that those people are now dead. Hmm. Um, and it had their case number listed yeah, next and it was to like them. Grayed out or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, okay, so these people died and I'm assuming based on the fact that they committed or, so that's the weird thing. They never really talk about it in the movie that can you, get the death penalty for attempted murder. Like, is it something, or did they just die from old age? Hmm. But I don't, it doesn't sound like the pre-crime unit's been around for that long. Hmm. So I'm like, and there's like five names on that like tube. So I'm like, okay, so my assumption, and it could be incorrect, is that these people got the death penalty for something they never actually did, but they had intended to do. Yeah. So the whole idea of like, so if you break that down, like where it's like sin, Like if I think to sin or I intend to sin, but I don't actually commit it, like the whole idea of like that inferring a, you know, so like the death penalty where we're like, you know, I like for me as a Christian, I'm like, I think that we should show mercy for that. Um, So it's interesting to have like this whole concept in this movie of like, they didn't even do it. Hmm. So like, I agree. Yeah. To what you were saying where I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think you should have to serve time because you intended to do something, but you were stopped from doing it. Mm. It's a really interesting, like, it just raises a lot of like moral, like morality questions. Like this movie does. uh, A lot of, uh, not, well, not circle arguments. What is, uh, it just like circular arguments. Yeah. Yeah, Circular circular reasoning. Yeah. Yeah, It just brings you back to the, 
the beginning and you yeah. have to re-answer, re-ask well, like, but a question. Because like to your point, like you're talking about that scene where he like, he rolls the ball on the table and he's like, why did you catch that? And he was like, cause it was going to fall. And he's mm-hmm. like, but it didn't because you caught it. So it technically never was. So technically it never was. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ah, like it's like, but that's how I feel like when some people talk about predestination where I'm like, I feel like we're arguing the same point, mm-hmm. but like we're reaching different conclusions. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, we believe the same thing, but like you're coming about it from a different direction. Um, and so I think that it's just an interesting, I just think it's an interesting movie from that perspective. It's like a weird, I don't know. I feel like sci-fi movies a lot of times do that, like raise these like questions, possibly more questions that were intended, but are still like appropriate. And at the end of the movie, the division gets like dissolved Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like, so basically like his mentor, Lamar Burgess is this older guy. Like I stated earlier, he started the pre-crime unit. He's not involved anymore. He's like very hands off. Um, And he basically like he gets in between a rock and a hard place. He's like, if you murder me, you go to prison because that's what the precogs predicted. If you don't murder me, you prove that pre-crime is not a thing. It's got flaws. Yeah, it's got flaws. And so you can't trust it 100 percent of the time. And so that's like I think that's what makes the movie so interesting is like and they're the whole like the minority report. So do you want to explain what the minority report is? Do you, did you understand that? Yeah. So the minority report is there's three pre-cogs. Mm-hmm. Is that they're called? Cogs? Yeah. Or, yeah like a cog in a machine. There's three uh, humans that have mm-hmm. this ability. They don't even refer to them as humans, but they're called pre-cogs. And yeah. all three of them share like a hive mindset memory yeah. or not a memory, but they seem to the future. But the minority report is there's one of them out of the three for every memory, usually the most talented one, which is Agatha, the Mm -hmm. the female, who will see the exact truth and the other two will kind of share that memory. But sometimes the two will overpower the one, but there's always one true memory recorded. Yeah. Um, And so, for instance, like out of the three that see a memory they'll project onto the screen like what happened but there's a slight chance that that's not what happened because the majority of the three saw something different but the minority was right was right yeah and you can always find the truth by going to whichever precog was the minority yeah because they were the ones usually leading the memory or the the, there's always one that sees the truth yeah and there's sometimes two it's like they're trying like they try to figure out like they don't always see the same thing yes so it's like how are you figuring out which one's true and which one's not? Mm -hmm. And they do talk about that, that Agatha is like the strongest of the bunch. There's a whole storyline about Agatha and her mom, which relates to Lamar Burgess, the mentor guy. But so he's like trying to find the minority report because he thinks it's going to clear him. Yeah. Because he's like, there's a, but there's a chance that I don't kill the guy Mm -hmm. and that will be reflected in the minority report. And he goes to see this woman. It's very like, I actually wrote in my notes. I was like, there's a lot of about this movie. That's very like matrix. Like, yeah. Like that woman at the, in the garden. I'm like, this is very just guru. Yeah. It just seems like it would be in the matrix. Um, and she basically explains the minority report to him and says like, if there's a chance that you're not going to commit this crime, there will be a mark on the minority report mm -hmm. that says that one of the precogs, didn't see you murdering this guy. Yeah. And so that's when he goes to capture Agatha because she's the strongest to get to extract that futuristic projection out of her brain to prove that he's not going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And all of this is just like feeding into what the precogs actually saw. And uh, she basically says like, there is no minority report. So it's like 
in this movie, his fate is sealed, right? Mm -hmm. So he's going to kill this guy. All three of them saw it. And, and he still doesn't kill the guy. Right. Or at least like it happens like they saw it, but it's like, they just see the end of him holding the gun over him. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's kind of cool how they shoot that stuff. Cause I'm like, if you ever try to remember like a dream, <laughs> like it's like, it's so fragmented yeah. and you're only seeing like quick snapshots. Like it's yeah. not the full picture. Yeah. And that's why they have to like, that's why the cops are involved. Cause it still takes like, I would say like detective work mm-hmm. because they're still like, um, yeah, having to together. like, yeah, put the pieces together, look at the clues. And so it's not a full picture of what happens. And so when you see it actually happen, you're like, no, the precog saw it exactly as it happened. But the assumption made around those clues is incorrect. Mm-hmm. You know, like he didn't actually pull the trigger. The other guy did. Yeah. And there's even though he was the holding and, the gun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so that's not. But so how many other times has that happened where people have been put away where like the memory wasn't or the projection wasn't a hundred percent accurate, yeah. you know, or you couldn't see the full picture. So, and that's truly like, that's what you kind of figure out. Like, I think that's like the moral implication of it is like, they're so like self-righteous and their, um, pursuit of pre-crime mm-hmm. where they're like hundred percent right every time. And right. like, there've been no murders and all oh, they say six years mm-hmm. is how long this pre-crime unit has been around. So like there've been no murders in Washington DC for six years. This is the best thing that's ever happened. Um, and so like to them, like it, they can do no wrong in pre-crime. Well then when John Anderton's like accused of this future murder and he's like, that's not me, I would never do that. Um, then he kind of starts figuring out like there are flaws in the system. Mm-hmm. Like how many people, I think he said he has a conversation with somebody where he's how like, how many people, people have I put have away? I put away? Yeah. yeah. That didn't, that weren't ever going to murder somebody. Yeah. And I think that's, that's like an interesting thing too. Like the whole, like, um, the idea of intent and like, how could you possibly know what people are intending to do until it actually happens? And even then, like, you don't know what the intent was. Mm. And that's like a whole other thing. That's like, that's like a legit argument in a courtroom today of like people like argue intent. And I'm like, how could you pot? It just happens in their head. Right. Like, unless they're going to like flat out tell you what their intention was. And you can 100% believe that what they're telling you is the truth. You can't know. Right. You literally can't know. So, and these precogs only see the behavior. Right. They don't see the thought process. So it is really interesting because like, and then, but then you look at the flip side and you're like, yeah, but how many people did they save from getting murdered? And so it's like, ah, it's like a good thing, but also not yeah because you can't tell you know and so they do kind of determine at the end of the movie like they dissolve the program because it's like because you can't you literally cannot predict intent yeah like it's not a thing that exists and then putting away 10 innocent people but catching 90 guilty does it make it worth it at the end of the day it's like a moral dilemma yeah another moral dilemma there's Mm -hmm. so many of those in this movie yeah is it worth it to put away the 90 for the 10 Mm -hmm. like man there's a lot of like i think that's i I'm so glad we watched this movie because uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Like, I think I, I think I think I even watched it like on TV. So I'm sure I didn't <laughs> see the whole thing, but, um, like I do, I just think it brings up a lot of questions, which I think is interesting. I always love movies that kind of bring up those. and I do love a good whodunit, mm-hmm. but that was like that. Uh, honestly, like when I was thinking of like movies that I wanted to have you on, I was like, man, minority report would be good. Cause I feel like I would like Nick would be an interesting person to like talk to you about that because 
I just feel like most people don't think through all that. Like, if I would have known, it would have been a theology uh, discussion. I would have. Uh, <laughs> He's like, I would have brought books. Would have brought my notes. I would have been prepared. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. He's like, my notes suck. It's all about the movie. Open with me to yeah. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter seven. <laughs> it just turns into a Bible study. All right. Did you have any notes you wanted to go over? I had like just some funny like things that I wrote down. I think most of my notes are funny. Yeah. Not funny, but just like just observations. Yeah. Um. What? Like one of the first things, I mean, I wrote down the saying, um, in the land of the blind, the one eye man is king. And I thought that was going to come back around and they kind of hinted to it a couple of times. And then it kind of like, does like, okay. He's so one eye man. There is a really gross scene in the middle of the movie. So they basically like, so I wrote down, I was like, it's funny how advanced they thought this technology was going to be. And now some version of this exists. Well, a better version. Yeah. yeah. I wrote the same thing. I was like, man, futuristic TVs are lame. I know. Like those 3D TVs. Like <laughs> I know. It's looks like awful. It was like, but like, think about this. So next year, this movie will be 20 years old. Like that's nuts. Wow. Um, and I, how old were you in 2002? In 2002, um, I would have been eight. Oh my gosh. I was a sophomore in high school. It's fine. But like, I think there was like, I think it was like the turn of the like millennium. Mm-hmm. Like when 2000 hit, everyone was like, we didn't die from yeah, Y2K. They're, well, they're just like, the future is here. Yeah. And then like, and for me, like I wrote a note where I was like, it's so weird to me that all of the advanced technology and like movies like that is all physical. Mm-hmm. When I feel like in reality, it's been virtual. Yeah. Like it, nothing like, I mean, there's like been some stuff, but I'm like, for the most part, it's not like physically inhabited in our everyday life mm-hmm. i mean like google glass didn't even like take off you know right. what i mean i like how modest they were with their their technological advances though because instead of flying cars they had cars that went sideways and <laughs> they crawled up and down buildings like bugs <laughs> like, like, we're not but gonna, they ain't flying like we're not gonna go full jetson yeah. but the cars um, are going sideways well, i just was like like why i said like why the futuristic cars this doesn't have to be that far-fetched yeah they're not like it could have been in the not so distant future because this whole idea of like I mean, not to like get political, but like the whole like police camera thing. Like, I mean, this is like a debate that's like already happening. Yeah. Like, and that's not like, that's not like futuristic, but it's like, like present, you know, like you can watch it in the present. So I'm like, it's not, we're not there yet, but I'm like, it's actually not that far fetched to say like, oh, somebody could see. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, why did they have to have the terrible special effects of like the dumb cars and like the, like. Even like I actually thought I wrote somewhere in my notes where I was like, it's an interesting commentary on advertising. There's so much in this movie. That was the scene that I remember the most is like when he's walking through the mall and it like scans your retina. So it like knows who you are. This car's for you, John. Yeah. Come where it's Hawaii, like, John. yeah, it's like, John, you've earned a Guinness beer. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And I'm like, personalized advertising actually exists. Yeah. You know, it's not like that. It doesn't look like that. But it's like, oh, my gosh, we're like kind of a step closer to that. Um, and so I'm like, it's kind of interesting to see like things that kind of got, like, I would say, quote unquote, right. Mm-hmm. Versus the things that they got like terribly wrong. Oh, yeah. Like the jetpacks. Yeah. Like, what is that? The, that was a very uh, comedic scene. Yeah. When, like, Please don't run John. <laughs> and then the jetpacks are like <laughs> miles an hour, yeah. but somehow John manages to ride three jetpacks <laughs> around this apartment complex. And he's beating up like eight people he's beating with up eight jet cops. Packs. Yeah. yeah. The cops are just like drunk buffoons. Yeah. I know. They're like, oh my God. That's so crazy. So it, like this, I think the, the science part of the science fiction of this movie was a little off. Yeah. Um, because I just felt, it just felt like it wasn't consistent. I think is more or less what I was thinking. Like where I was like, you know, but maybe that's, 
it probably was consistent for that time frame mm-hmm. where like none of that existed. So like everything was possible. And then like now looking back like 20 years later, it's like, well, some of that does exist ish and none of the other stuff does. So it's like, it feels inconsistent now, like right. in hindsight, but yeah, I would agree with that. Like, I was just like, this technology is weird and like, not even cool. Like you think about like in advertising where, um, you know, people are like, they're my phone's listening to me and it like it serves me ads that are like specific to things that I've talked about. And I'm like, that's basically what him walking through the mall is like, it's yeah. reading his retina, but right. it's like, and it's like, it's obviously ads that are like built for him. Right. Um, but I'm like, okay, so they're not reading our retinas, but it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so it's, it is interesting how like some of that stuff you're like, it doesn't look like that, but that is happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. One thing that I, I was like, like when he goes and visits the, the old witch in the woods, um, <laughs> I was like, like those, the, the witch in the greenhouse. Yeah. I was like, why are, I wrote, um, even the plants in the future are more advanced. Yeah. They have like a mind of their own. I was like, what the heck? Like these plants are like was, snakes. And I was making drinks during that part, but it, so I wasn't watching a hundred percent, but they like, did some one of them like cut him or bite him or yeah, they all like grab him. Like oh, it's yeah. like Venus flytrap plants and they, gotcha. but instead of like a little slow Venus fly, it's like a Venus fly vine. I'm like, what is this? Like, do you step into Narnia? Like he climbs up his wall and all these plants <laughs> are alive. There's Tomnus. Yeah, what is this? <laughs> Where is, what if he was in the greenhouse instead of the old woman? Oh my gosh, it's Tomnus. I wrote a uh, gaps is well, the gap yeah. outlet is the new Gucci. Yeah, it's um, true. It's pretty go, advanced. He goes into a gap outlet and I'm like, what the heck? Like, they got that wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> they totally got that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they projected the uh, gap would be Although that. I do feel like, so Lexus obviously br- bought like huge product placement yeah. in this movie because every movie is It's like just this. a Lexus. <laughs> and Nick was like, I love that it's not even an actual car that people can buy. Yeah. Like how useful is that? Yeah. But it's like. Lexus this, Lexus that, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, in that case, I do feel like that's warranted. And like, if there was, although right now it's probably Tesla. Well, technically in Lexus still has 40 something years to get there. Cause it's like 2060. So, I mean, yeah, we it's hard have to say, yeah. but I would, I would, I would say if I had to guess right now, which car brand would have a futuristic car, it would be Tesla. Yeah, you're right. But they didn't really exist back in 2002. So I can't hold it against him. Mm-hmm. I wrote a uh, poor Agatha. A very major minor role who was uh, forced to shave her head. It's true. Like, she's like, like, the opportunity of her life. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to be a star movie with Tom Cruise, but you're going to have like six lines. One of them is going to scare the poop out of people because you're going (laughs) to scream run right in the camera. (laughs) And we're going to shave your head and we don't care if your head's shaped like a peanut. Right. This is just your lot in life. Some, I actually said like too. I was like, "Do you think their skin got all weird and pruny from having to lay in that water in for so much?" <laughs> like, I think take that would be 32. miserable. Like, oh my gosh! Like, you know, they're like, "Can you please just nail this take? We got to get out of here." Yeah, the two twins, Arthur and whatever, don't have like one they line. Have they one lay line. in the pool the whole, yeah. the whole show, and then they finally get hair at the end. Do you know it's a wig? Because obviously they didn't have time to grow yep. the hair at the beginning of the movie. Towards the beginning, he's pulling up like home videos of his son mm. which is that weirdo 3d projection and mm. i actually wrote like where you were like that's the like those tvs in the future suck and i'm like would you even want any of this technology like nothing in this movie i'm like i need that yeah like none of it no there's nothing in that movie where i'm like wow my life would be better if i had that so i just think it's interesting because at some point somebody was like this is the future mm-hmm. and i just think that's so bizarre that people are like this will make our lives better and that's what it looks like yeah and you're like okay. terrifying yeah but his son in the video says, I got to keep running. 
And he says that. And I'm like, I was like, that's so funny because it's basically the mantra of Tom Cruise in every movie he's ever in where it's like, I just got to keep running. <laughs> like He's running in every movie. <laughs> like he's just running. He is he's always running. He's fast too. Mm-hmm. He's fast. Well, and he even said, so like the kid, the, his son's like, I got to keep running. And then when he's being chased by the cops, he's like, everybody runs. Yeah. John Williams actually scored this movie as he does most Steven Spielberg movies. I like the soundtrack. And yeah, it was a really good soundtrack. Um, but he actually like was late to the production of this movie because he was scoring the second Star Wars prequel movie. No way. <laughs> like he was like, we're still scoring Star Wars, so I'll be there when I can. Gosh, my notes are so scribbled. Um, I started writing in cursive and then at like. Quickly devolved into just scribbles. Very, yeah horrible looking print. <laughs> oh, something I noted in this. Okay, so you're a video guy. Nick came to Kona, no video experience, mm-hmm. and now is like, I would say, video um capturer and editor extraordinaire. Yeah. Um, but okay. it's I thought it was interesting to me. Um there's a lot of gum chewing in this movie from characters. So like Colin Farrell's almost always chewing gum. His like little buddies at the pre-crime unit are almost always chewing gum. And you never see that in movies because it's an obnoxious sound Hmm. that like is distracting. And I just like noticed it. Like in one of the scenes, I was like, man, there's like three people in the scene who are chewing gum and nobody ever chews gum in movies. Like it's just like not a thing that happens. If I I had to, if I had to count on my uh, left hand, how many people (laughs) I noticed chewing gum, I would count zero. (laughs) I don't remember one person that's maybe chewing I also gum. have like a weird like where gum chewing is like yeah, this, this could me. be a this could be a um a turning point. Just why it's is true. Yeah, I know. Like I'm laying on the couch. Everyone like, why? in this movie whistled. <laughs> I know. It was awful. Yeah. I died. Um yeah, I have a weird noise thing. So I pick up on stuff like that. But I, it's but, fascinating. I but it is interesting because I there's a reason why people never chew gum in movies, mm-hmm. and it's because it is obnoxious and distracting. And and also, like from a sound design perspective, I think it makes it hard to like cut because mm-hmm. they're like there's always that like noise in the background. Yeah, go catch yeah. them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like, well, I just, I just thought that was like, it's an interesting. You know, at some point, it was like a character choice mm-hmm. that Colin Farrell was like, I feel like my character chews gum. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I think I should chew gum. I, I just think it's weird. Sass. Yeah, mm. I'm just a little sassy, and I think I should be chewing gum. I died. Okay, so the scene with the jetpack fight. Where they're like in an alleyway. Mm -hmm. It is ridiculous. Like, I don't know if in 2002 people watched this and they were like, this is awesome. Or if in 2002 they were also like, this is dumb. It is a little bit ludicrous and actually makes zero sense. And they like destroy an entire apartment building in the process. Yeah. Uh, You're familiar with Star Wars. Yes. Uh, The whole time I just wanted that one song from the bar to be playing. Yes. A little yeah. cantina song. I was like, man, this scene is so <laughs> the stupid. The most Isley cantina. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, Everybody but, runs. I know, but my favorite. So they like bust into a bunch of apartments where like these unsuspecting people, which is insane because you would hear that. Mm-hmm. You would hear what's going on. There's like eight people with jetpacks and they're literally busting through brick walls. So you would really, you're sitting in your room and you're not reacting at all. Like, I wonder what that noise is. But my favorite one was there's like this kid, this like nerdy middle school kid playing a saxophone. Just, and not, they, just not a care in the world. Not a care in the world. They just bust in. And I was like, I just wrote unsuspecting saxophone kid made me laugh. Um, Tom Cruise says to the cop, just go to bed. Yeah, exactly. They fly through the window on the little kid's bed. And- yeah. 
I wrote, so the sonar, I, I don't know what it's called, but the sonar gun. So they're in the car factory. It's when he's like being chased by the pre-crime unit, Tom Cruise's character. And which again, terrible special effects where they're like lasers and machines. And like, you're like, none of that is real. Like, it just looks awful. Like, you're just like, oh, it just doesn't hold up. <laughs> they're taking like, our jobs. I know. Like, oh, darn All robots. These robots building cars in the future. <laughs> Those robots. <laughs> There's... They have these guns that aren't bullets. They're yeah. like, I called them sonar guns because it looked like it was, I don't understand it. Just push them back. Yeah. It was and like a, a cool, like a, it was, it was like a whipping whip motion. Yeah. Numchuck. Yeah. Spin to reload. I was like, those guns were kind of badass. Like that was yeah. how you loaded it. And I was like, I mean. It's it, very ineffective though. It doesn't do a whole lot. Yeah. But it looked cool. You ain't catching any It made any, for a cool action criminals. sequence. Yeah. And then I said in that sequence too, I was like, was Colin Farrell just like totally stoked that he got to like beat up on Tom Cruise? Because I feel like in most movies that Tom Cruise does, like he's the hero that like in every action sequence, like he's whooping up on whoever it is he's fighting. Mm -hmm. And he gets some pretty good shots in there on Tom Cruise. Yeah, I didn't think that was fair. For anyone who hasn't seen it, you should go YouTube this fight scene. He, what's his name, Colin? Colin Farrell. This guy gets like... Five good punches on before he ever gets before yeah, he ever Tom lands Cruise one. Just yeah. Gets punched and just looks right back at him. Yeah. He gets punched again. I'm like, yeah, okay, come on. You're like, okay, dude. So you're a cop. Yeah. He whoops and Colin on him. Farrell's like an assistant to the attorney general. Like that. I don't believe that. Yeah. He ends up like Tom Cruise gets his shots in there, but it does. It is kind of unrealistic where you're like, no, it should be more fair. I hate fights like equal. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and in that sequence too, like <laughs> it was a really dumb shot. It's like a point of view shot from the thing that's like coming down to like smash him. It's some like they're building cars in this like factory, right? So there's all these like robots and like pieces of machinery. And there's like this one, it's like the end of the fight scene where you're like, he's like, ah, and it like, it's, it's like at the camera where like something's about him. to like crush him. And obviously like, we're like, okay, well the movie would be over if it crushed him. But so then the finalized version of the car like comes on the, at the end of the assembly line, it's getting painted. So it's going through like what I can only the only thing I can depict it as is a car wash. It mm -hmm. looks like a car wash and there's like viewing windows. Right. And so it's getting painted red and Colin Farrell and all the pre unit cops are like behind the glass and they're like looking, which I'm like, if you thought he was dead, I don't know, whatever. I don't know what you're looking for. But then he like, like Tom Cruise just like sits up in the car and he's like, Hey, I'm here. You thought they turned me into a 2067 Lexus. <laughs> but I'm still alive. Drives off in this car without a tank of gas. Yeah. It's somehow in my mind. I was like, that should be super cheesy. But I kind of thought it was badass. I was like, I don't know. Like him just sitting up in the car. I was like, he's alive. I honestly thought they were going to bust in the car and he was going to be like pinned to the floor. And oh, the, yeah. The but like seats were going to be. Yeah. And yeah. Like, he's part of the seat. Like he's just away the with it. part of the seat. Yeah. yeah. I would have gotten away with it. Was it you meddling kids? That's right. These dumb robots. <laughs> Precons. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. So then he goes to see. So he can't. He needs to bust back into the pre-crime unit um, to get Agatha so that he can get the minority report. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is his mission. And but he can't break into the pre-crime unit with his eyeballs because then it'll alert everybody that mm -hmm. John Anderton is in the building. So he goes to this weirdo doctor that's like obviously not a doctor. Just like his first scene is him just like blowing a huge snot rock <laughs> on the floor. It's true. It's so gross. There's so much snot coming out of his nose. It's disgusting. Um to like literally switch out his eyeballs, which I don't think is a thing. I don't think it's a thing. Maybe in 2067 or whenever yeah. the movie I mean, is. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. The eye sequence when they're like, they don't show 
the replacing of the eyeballs, but they show the prep of the replacing of the eyeballs. And that was too much for me. There's little metal clamps on his eyes. Yeah, I can't. I've thought about getting LASIK like a couple times and I just can't bring myself to do it. And this did not help. I didn't like, I, I always hate like double curve balls. Like, yeah. So he's sitting in there, uh, getting ready to have eye surgery. And then the guy jabs him with his amnesia. And as oh, he's yeah. doing loop, he's like, wait, how do I know? That? And he's like, you put me in jail a long time ago. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, this guy's going to kill him. And then he, and then he just does. Nothing happens. Just replaces yeah. his eyeballs. You're the guy who put me in prison. <laughs> yeah. and then, ah, he's the main villain. And then yeah. Tom Cruise wakes up. He's like, don't take the bandages off. You'll go blind. Yeah. Just, Here's a rope to the kitchen. Here's a rope to the bathroom. Those double curve balls. Like, yeah. Oh, this guy's going to hurt. Where you're like, oh man, like this is going to be somebody where you're like, yeah. oh, this is his chance this to is get important. back at him. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no. No, just a stupid side plot. Just dumb. Okay. So do you think he went blind in the one eyeball? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they definitely put some effort into making his eye look weird the rest of the movie. Like, it was yeah, like. Yeah, they definitely, like, his eyes look different. It was drooping, uh, like. So, my question is, does the phrase from the beginning of the movie then make sense because he actually goes blind in one eye? Yeah, see, that's what I was saying in the beginning. Like, he becomes the one-eye man. The phrase is, in the land of the blind, the one-eye man is the king. So, the phrase would be like, I guess everybody except for the pre-cons are blind because they don't see the future. I don't know. Yeah. Um, he ends up getting one or eye. Like maybe he like sees, he sees pre-crime for what it is. Yeah. yeah. He sees the truth. Yeah. Um, and then I guess technically the king dies at the end by killing himself, but then that wouldn't make Tom Cruise king because the it whole really pre-crime thing yeah, is yeah, absolved. Yeah. It's like, it's better in like cleverness than it is in yeah. theory. I think he wrote that line and then towards the end he's like, just forget it. We got to make this movie. So the spiders. So there's these little robot spiders <laughs> that they employ, which is weird because these two pre-crime cops come into this building. It's when Ethan's like, Ethan, oh my gosh, that's his name in Mission Impossible. That's weird. John Anderton, um, he has, so he gets his eyeballs replaced and he has to keep, which I think this is insane that it's only 12 hours. Yeah. Like he's like, keep his bandage on for 12, 12 hours, hours and then you'll be fine. Or you'll go blind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, really it's not longer um so he has to keep his blindfold on but he also can't be found and so they kind of trace him to this building and they they read like body heat signatures so they're like there's 27 people in the building and obviously he can't hear them like saying all of this but he but they which i think this is i guess they have to like legally like they announce to the building We're what they're doing Boston, your house. yeah and, and so, no one stops what they're doing anyway yeah and yeah it's weird <laughs> But, um, so they employ these like eight little like robot spiders that just like, like they just like scurry around and they just scan eyeballs. That's the whole just thing. People's faces. Yeah. And so they're trying to find John. And, um, so he like jumps in an ice bath. He's blind. He can't see anything cause he's bandaged up, but he jumps in an ice bath so that the thing can't read his heat signature and the little spiders won't come in and like read his eyeballs. Cause if they read his eyeball, he's going to go blind. Mm -hmm. And so they, he ends up like letting a little bubble of air escape in the bathtub. And so they, which I think these spiders have to be the most advanced. Yeah, Come on. Like a tiny little bubble. Like, no, there's no way. Yeah, these spiders can communicate with each other. And yeah. And like, there's so much noise in that building. It's not a nice apartment building. Like it's pretty dilapidated. And I'm like, there's so much stuff going on. I'm like, they would never have heard that. But at any rate, they, the little spider robot, like he peels the bandage off of like one eye to let them scan it. And I was like, do you think it blinded him? Because he can't see light and it's like super bright light, like right in your eye. 
I think I'm I am in agreement. I think he's blind in that eye. Um, I wonder if the eyes. Have you seen the movie The Box? I have not. Oh, is it you, good? You know the premise? No, oh. tell me. Well, The Box is a movie. I think it's called The Box. It's like the movie where uh, you push a button and somebody somewhere dies, but you're oh, given geez. like ten million dollars, whatever the, the whatever. Yeah. But the twist is. This is a great movie. You should see it. You okay. Sh- I don't want to ruin it. You basically... Actually, I will be ruining it by explaining the whole eye thing. Well, then don't. I'll watch it. <sighs> it's called The Box? Yeah, I think it's called The Box. Um, Look it was, up. Look it up and let me know. I was going to make a reference about the eyeballs. Like, oh, whose eyeballs are those? So this is really... Oh, yeah, that's gross, too. Like, you don't want to think about it. It's like any organ transplant where mm-hmm. you're like, mm, don't think about it too hard. Mm-hmm. Um. So this is interesting on the podcast. This is the first time I think that we've done our succession of episodes is actually the order in which they were released. So the last movie that I did on the podcast was Vanilla Sky and it came out um, right before this movie came out and or it was the movie that he made, you know, in his filmography that came out before this. And um, there's a whole thing with the eyes and the face in that movie, too. And I was like, that's really weird. And I actually have in my trivia facts that um, he started filming this movie like three days after he finished vanilla sky which is nuts yeah which Mm. is not there's like a lot of similarities to it and i'm like and vanilla sky is kind of a sci-fi it's not as science fictiony as this and it's not really like in the future but it's kind of like it toys around with that idea of like alternate universes or alternate realities Mm -hmm. like in your life so it's kind of trippy um i died because so he's he is like So this movie is based off of an original short story by an author. And I think they took elements of it and made the movie. It's not like true to the short story, obviously, because it's two and a half hours long. So it's clearly not exactly based on the short story. (laughs) They elaborated on it. Um, But in the short story, I guess he's like really addicted to drugs. Like the character of John Anderton is like super like he's almost like a drug addict. But Mm -hmm. he in this movie, like they kind of allude to it. Um, he pops these weird little fidget spinner looking things. Well, I was like, it's basically a jewel. It is a jewel. That's what it looks like, but like in a different shape. I was like, it's a jewel. Like I wrote that down. I was like, that's interesting. No one really says what the the drug is. He just like no. he just like clarity. inhales it. Yeah. Like yeah, the food in the fridge was disgusting, moldy. So I don't know why they mess. He's just a sandwich. weird dude. The, the doctor's just weird. So he makes him a completely fresh sandwich sticks it in the fridge but he's blind and it's amongst <laughs> all this other like moldy food <laughs> yeah. like, and you're like why do you do it's that literally one glass of milk next to a moldy or a curdled glass of milk and one sandwich <sighs> next to a moldy sandwich <sighs> so i there so he keeps his old eyeballs which is also a weird plot point him around a little he like ziploc yeah, bag. like when he's at the doctor he's like i want to keep my old eyeballs and i'm like I can't really fault him for that. I don't know that I'd want to get rid of my eyes, but like he needs them because it's going to give him access to the mm-hmm. building to get in, to get like Agatha or whatever. But like you made a good point and I wrote like plot hole. Like he gets the eyeballs, the new eyeballs so that they don't know he's in the building, mm-hmm. but then he has to use his he old still eyes. He to use them to get in the building. Yeah. So like you never need to get point? rid of your eyeballs. Yeah. You could have just kept your eyeballs the yeah. whole time. It doesn't make any sense. But there's a part where like he very haphazardly tries to remove the eyeballs from the Ziploc bag. Like I'm like, they're your eyes. 
Wouldn't you handle them with a little bit more care? No, he like removes them by like turning the bag upside down yeah. while it's already open, and it holds his hand out like to catch them, <laughs> like they're coins or something. This man already like... has one eyeball. He's got no depth of field, and he's trying to catch two slimy eyeballs out of a bag. And they just roll so, down this little ramp. It's so true. And I wrote, do eyeballs really work like that? Do they roll like that? No, I no, don't know. Those balls are rolling fast. They look like little bouncy balls. I was like, that can't be how they work. Oh my gosh. The, and I wrote like, they're the worst police force ever. Like they can't capture him. It's Crap, like, he's right in our office and we can't get in. It's like the stormtroopers in Star yeah. Wars where they're like, they're shooting a million Freeze. things and they never hit him. Um, oh my gosh. Like, and then I wrote too, this is a comment I made when we were watching it, but like, so when he captures Agatha, like obviously like, she doesn't have like her muscles have atrophied. Like she's been sitting in a pool of water for like, who knows for six years. And, uh, so she's literally dead weight. Like he's having to carry her around everywhere. I was like, man, she's such a drag. Like, although she does pretty, I thought the mall sequence was really cool where she's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, and then like, she can see the future. So she's like, but okay. So here's my other question. So clearly in the mall sequence, she can see the future, even when it's not related to a murder. So how do they decipher what projections project from the hive mind if they can see everything? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, how did they how did they train them to just project murders, if that makes sense? Yeah, that mall scene confused me because it they made it seem like all they can see is murders and they can only right. see them when they're asleep because the woman in the garden is like, yeah, when they were kids, we discovered that while they dream. Yeah, they were dreaming they of murders. Yeah. yeah. So I actually think that the thing that didn't make sense was they can, oh, they can see the future while they're awake. Like, yeah, also anything. And yeah. they only, she only kind of referenced it like as they're walking through the mall, like this woman's about, or this guy's about to drop his briefcase. And yeah. He does. And, Oh, and this woman, she knows your face. And then she says, wait. And that's the only time that she's like, I know the future. So I yeah. like. It is kind of inconsistent. Yeah. I do think too, like, I also think that's a weird plot point too, which whatever, it's a movie, but like, where they're like, yeah, we discovered these six-year-olds were having dreams about future murders. And yeah. I'm like, how? Did I they come just, out in the morning and they're like, I dreamed somebody killed somebody. And like three days later it happened. Yeah. Like. I don't know. Just give the kids antidepressants. Like it's super. Like if if I had a little kid come out and tell me that, I'm like, it's that's a weird dream. Yeah. Like you're terrifying me. Yeah. Please don't talk to me about that. You know, like little kids like wake up in the middle of night. Well, I mean, we don't know how, but you hear of little kids waking their parents up in the middle of night, like I threw up. Yeah. These little kids are like. John Anderton is about to be strangled to death. (laughs) I witnessed a murder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. They're drowning the woman in the lake. (laughs) Oh, and then like, so Agatha, like he's having to carry her around the whole time. He like kidnaps her and like breaks her out. And then they get to the farmhouse with his wife. And then all of a sudden she can just walk. And we were like, well, now she can walk. Mm -hmm. Like what the heck? It's kind of like the grandpa in Willy Wonka where you're like, oh, you've been in a bed for 30 years. Like, yeah. You bum. Yeah, I know. This line was like so good. He says, um, it's when he, the Lamar Burgess, the mentor guy, like basically when John Anderson like corners him right before he kills himself, he says, congratulations, you created a world without murder. You just had to kill someone to do it. Hmm. And I was like, ah, that's such great writing. Like it was such a great line. Like I was like, ah, there is some really good, there are some really, really good lines, um, in this movie. And then he like, he takes his like, so I guess they shave the heads of the prisoners that go into these toothpaste tubes. Mm-hmm. And I literally wrote, is this the first time Tom Cruise is bald in a movie? It was kind of weird. He looked kind of good. I know. I was like, he's kind of owning it and yeah. he's kind of known for his hair. So I was like, that's pretty um, ballsy, but it's funny. Cause in vanilla sky, um, which is an interesting movie. I think you would like it, but he wears like a prosthetic mask, like for most of the movie. And he kind of looks like, um, 
like the guy from Halloween, like the where it's like it doesn't really form to his face. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, so I, it's interesting to me because then there's a scene too, like when he's breaking back into the <laughs> like, you're right. There's like so many plot holes where he's like, you have to get new eyeballs to get into the facility, except you have to use your old eyeballs to get in there. And also you have to shoot yourself with this thing that makes your face look old. But, Which makes no sense. Yeah. But even though people won't still recognize yeah, you. You'll shoot yourself and make yourself look old. But as soon as they catch you, they know that it's instantly you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even though like. Yeah. So none of that really makes sense. But. um, if, And then he decides to like shoot himself up in front of like all these kids. And we're literally like. Literally two feet away from. Yeah. Like middle literally school. Literally anywhere else. Like you could have done that. Um, But. I. I think it's interesting. Like I think there was this. He. So his career started in like the eighties and so like the eighties and nineties, he was like the heartthrob, like Top Gun, Risky Business, you know, all these like Jerry Maguire, like all these movies where he's like Tom Cruise, the heartthrob. And then like, it's weird to me that he made two back-to-back choices where he made movies where his face was disfigured, like for at least part of the movie. Mm. And I was like, that's an interesting choice. Like, I wonder if that was like on purpose. Um, uh, more than my face, ladies. Right. <laughs> I know. But so this, this led me to believe. So this is my last question for my notes. Imagine living in a world where pre-crime is a thing and you're about to get murdered and so they stop it. How do you go on living your life knowing <laughs> like somebody was about to murder you? Yeah, like, like think about all the people who almost got murdered. Yeah, like, and even do you feel bad for people like that? Like, I was almost murdered. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, are they like, a, are they, are, is that the missing part of society that you were hinting at in your, uh, boost, your all aboard side at the beginning? <laughs> like, that's the minority. That is the, the minority. The people who almost got murdered. Mm. Maybe that's the twist. Did you have any other notes maybe you had we've written down? All almost been murdered. Oh my gosh, that's accurate though. Like I mean, how would maybe, we know that there's not a pre-crime unit? They just can't pick up all the. Pieces. Maybe it's just maybe it's just not as obvious yeah. as it is in this movie. Maybe it's just like our guardian angels. It could be kind of a pre-crime unit is a little bit like the idea of a guardian angel yeah. to some degree. And yeah. my last notes were um, to my question at the end of the movie, which would be, were the precogs wrong? Or did they choose to show that vision to to shut the whole system down so that they could go away? Oh, like the, were like, they kind they of the power, in control of it? Yeah. Do they have the power to show? Because uh, John didn't kill him. Yeah. They showed them the wrong vision. Yeah. At the very end. Or no, no, no. He didn't kill yeah. John. The mentor. Yeah. Lamar the mentor killed, shot himself. And I was yeah. Like, oh, it's interesting. Did they choose to get it wrong? Because they're like, this is our only way to escape. Because well, like he basically in system. him choosing that, like he proved that the system was yeah. corrupt or incorrect. Yeah, because if, if if they would have shown the correct vision, yeah, like then it would have continued. And yeah, they like, so stayed. you're saying like, do they have control over what they can show? Yeah, or it's interesting, but it's kind of like so. Agatha, there's a whole like storyline about her mom where she keeps showing this. It's like early, early on in the pre crime unit where this woman got murdered. She was drowned. And they could never figure out who the murderer was. And they kept saying John Doe. He's got a mask on. And like every time she would show the vision, like right before he would take the mask off, it would die. Mm -hmm. It would like cut the like. And so that wasn't actively happening. It was a memory and she was choosing to project it. So they do have some control. Yeah. And like, so that's when the whole time she's like, you can choose, you can choose. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, did she choose at the end? Like, did That's she an choose? Interesting. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. 
That's a good question. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, there you go. Uh, all right. I have some trivia facts that I've written down. So the three precogs were all named after famous mystery writers. Hmm. So Dashiell Hammett, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who did Sherlock Holmes and Agatha Christie. Whoa. So, which I think is kind of cool. You just said you're in your mur- into murder mysteries. I actually read Dashiell Hammett in college. I did a, um, I was in an honors English course, which was awesome. Cause all we did was read, uh, like noir crime thrillers. And I'm pretty sure Dashiell Hammett wrote Maltese Falcon, which is a movie that Humphrey Bogart ended up being in, but so, so good. I thought that was interesting. Well, let me clarify my murder mysteries, uh, involve like Stephen Avery. Oh yeah. Like and, real uh, life. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not like a bookworm. What was the name of that? Um, I'm like, uh, it's how to catch a murderer or how to make a murderer. Making a murder. Making a murder. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. I was like, how to host a murder mystery party. No, that's not right. Um, so the scene in the bathtub with the air bubble that notifies the spider robots. Um, Spielberg was just going to create the air bubble in post with CGI. Like he's like, I'll just make an air bubble <laughs> after. And Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise was like, no, I'm going to do it. I'll be the stunt guy. Yeah, he's like, I'll figure it out. So he just like figured out how to let like one little bubble of air, <laughs> which I don't feel like is hard, but I'm like, I just love that Tom Cruise is like, no, 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 I got this. Yeah. Um, We're not going to hire a bubble guy. Right. We don't need a bubble guy. We got me. I just found this fascinating because I like old movies, but the car factory scene is actually based on an Alfred Hitchcock idea for a never filmed sequence in the movie North by Northwest. Obviously it would not have had the futuristic robots that were in this scene, but the whole idea of like fighting in a car factory when the car was being made was, I guess, supposed to be in North by Northwest, but never made it. So I thought that was interesting. It's also in the, what's that one movie? It's like the cartoon robots. Um, they're like a uh, little trash robot dudes. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> you know what, <laughs> what I'm talking about? This? Wally? No, it's older than that. It's like a iron giant. No, there's a bunch of robots and they live in the city and they have I to get, I don't know that I've seen get, this movie. They have to get new parts. And, um, is it Disney? Like the poor, the poor robots can't afford new parts. The brave little toaster. No, <laughs> I don't even have to look it up, but I mean, You're, what are you going to Google? Me. Like old animated robot movie with parts. Well, the point is there's like a scene where they're fighting in not a car factory, but like similar things. Where really? Like he gets his hand pinned down. Oh, I don't think anyway. I've seen, I don't think I've seen this movie. My movie knowledge is not uh just called robots. Dang it. Is it just called 2005? Robots? Oh, it's not that old. <laughs> I graduated from high school that year. <laughs> you know, a long time ago back when they had typewriters. <laughs> I know, I know what you're talking about. I haven't seen it. I totally can see the poster though. Yeah. That movie was great. Was it? Yeah. I'll, have, a, to, I'll have to watch it. There's Nick, a cart. Based I, on your recommendation. Oh crap. Just because of that scene. Yeah. They have a scene uh, like that. There's very few movies that I don't actually like. I loved that movie. Did you really? Mm-hmm. It's got six out of 10. <laughs> Man. It's about what you gave this movie. Yeah. Um, so in the original short story, um, John Anderton was fat and balding. So not at all like Tom Cruise. And I was like trying to picture like this movie with an actor that was like <laughs> You always have to run. Like like Everybody Paul runs. like Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like or something like Guy Fieri. <laughs> He's not balding, but <laughs> oh my gosh. Him. That's amazing. Flavor Town. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. <laughs> we gotta get to we're always running to Flavor Town. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm taking you to the world's largest taco. 
Um, okay. Yeah. All the murders happen at like famous food joints. Um, so according to the sound designer, the sounds for the maglev car system. So all the sideways moving cars and stuff were made from sounds from his own washing machine. Hmm. And I wrote that one down cause I figured you as an editor would appreciate that. Sometimes we just get weird things from weird places, yeah, some, you know, the, the most obscure items make the best folly. That's true. It's so true. Um, so Foley in, in line with our ridiculousness about the jetpacks. So in an interview, Steven Spielberg admitted that jetpacks are not likely to ever come to fruition, but he included the technology as a tribute to the science fiction that he grew up with. Man, that's crazy. Like he, he's willing to step out on a limb and be like, look, cars climbing up buildings. It's going to happen. 3D movies. Like you can take Bet my signature. I, I'll sign off on those, but jetpacks not going to happen. It's not, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Just don't even try. It's never going to happen. <laughs> but if you can get a, but, I, but, but rest assured, a car will climb a building. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so true. Um, so I was making drinks during this scene, but you were like, oh my gosh, she kissed him on the lips. I did right there. I was like, kisses him. Yeah. So that was not scripted. Really? Yeah. And Tom Cruise's reaction is a genuine surprise. <laughs> okay. You know what? That just makes me like, that, that confirms for me that Hollywood is just full of a bunch of kooks. <laughs> like I, I would never want to meet these people in real life. Like these just troubled. I don't know. The fact that that old woman kissed Tom Cruise, because he did look shocked and yeah. it made no sense at all. You're like, what? She's like, go find the precogs. <laughs> okay. I was like, ugh. <laughs> You were like, you were like audibly, you were like, she kissed him. Yeah. Like it was like shocking. Yeah. And then like 10 seconds later, as he's leaving, she walks back up to him and gets really close. Like, please don't kiss him again. You're like, that's weird. But I think so. That's weird too. So it wasn't scripted and they chose to keep it in. She's like, that's my chance. (laughs) There was another Tom Cruise movie. I forget what it was, but it was another thing where it was like unscripted. And, but I think he kissed her. I don't think it was the other way around, but I'm like. Do you think these women are just like, this is my only chance to kiss Tom Cruise. So like, if I don't take it, like I'm stupid. I think Tom Cruise is stupid. If like some old woman kissed me and like, if if I was Tom Cruise, the all powerful Tom Cruise, (laughs) I would instantly interrupt that scene just to not even give her the satisfaction of like her grandkids one day going, that's grandma kissing Tom Cruise. Like (laughs) I wouldn't give it to her. I'd just be like, and cut. Cut, like, we're don't not put using that, in, that. Steven. Yeah, yeah, we're not using that one. And no. he just like, stays in character. And so he they does. He it. looks at her for a split second, like confused, but he's like, genius, we can roll with it. Like, yeah. Ew. He's like, okay, I can do I can, I can do this. Weird plant lady. Yeah, it's weird. Um, So it was funny. I knew, obviously I wrote the trivia earlier. So when you said that, I was like, oh man, I can't wait to tell him. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see here. So Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg actually met during the production of Risky Business, which was like 1984. So it was like way before this movie came out. But um, Steven Spielberg didn't have anything to do with Risky Business. Um, But this is actually the first time they ever worked together. And it was interesting. So Steven Spielberg was initially supposed to direct Rain Man with Mm. Dustin Hoffman that filmed here in Cincinnati. Um, And he backed out so that he could direct Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Mm. (laughs) So Rain Man would have been their first movie together. But this one was it instead. He made the right choice. I would agree with that because you can't turn your back on Indiana Jones. So this is a fun fact. And I covered this in the last Booze Cruise podcast episode. So I wanted to bring it up again here that um, because Vanilla Sky and Minority Report were filmed so close together, 
he was meeting with Steven Spielberg while he was shooting Vanilla Sky to talk about Minority Report. So like obviously like they had meeting pre-production meetings and stuff like that. And so I guess Steven Spielberg was like on set when they were filming something in Vanilla Sky. So he has a cameo in Vanilla Sky. Steven Spielberg does. Mm. And um, so in return, the director of Vanilla Sky cameos in this movie. So do you remember the scene where they're on the subway and the guy's like reading oh, the yeah. newspaper and it's like hieroglyphics like technology or whatever that's the director of vanilla sky but the blonde woman sitting behind him is cameron diaz because she's also in vanilla sky whoa so she's just like randomly in the back of this like subway train like in this movie because like, they must have just been visiting set that day and they were like you want to be extras in the scene and they were like sure so i think it's so random but i love stuff like that and then I think this is fascinating. And I, uh, this is my last piece of trivia because I, I wanted to get your take on it. So in the scene where John kidnaps Agatha from the toilet pool, <laughs> um, the Danny, the Colin Farrell's character asks the pre-crime cop, how much time do we have till the murder happens? Right. So, um, he, the officer responds and says 51 minutes and 30 seconds. And that is exactly how much time remains until the end of the movie. So when he says 51 minutes and 30 seconds in that movie, there is 51 minutes and 30 seconds left in the runtime of that movie. Now think about this. So you are, you're a video guy. You have, you filmed the scene and they say the line unless I'd have to go back and watch it. I should have paid attention to that scene. And like, you know, as an editor, all the cheats, right? So do they show the watch when he says 51 minutes and 30 seconds? And was that a voiceover when they realized how much? Cause I was like, like I was did like, they like backtrack it actually. Yeah. So like, Cause I was like, well, that's a weird. And obviously I, when I wrote this down, I, it's not fresh in my memory. I didn't know. And I was like, if it is a scene of him saying 51 minutes and 30 seconds and it is, and they basically were like, you have to edit the rest of the movie in 51 minutes and 30 (laughs) seconds. Like that's so much harder than editing the rest of the movie. Coming back to that point and leaving like a cent seven yeah. second clip where you can. Yeah. Mess like a, like with. a close up of a watch that you yeah. could CGI like the mm-hmm. time in and, ha- and have a voiceover of him saying. So I, I want to go back and watch that part because I'm like, I'm like, OK, as an editor, that's how I would do it. Mm. You know, I would go back and I'd say, OK, we can backtrack to that point. That'd be the the most, in my mind, logical way and the most fair way. I couldn't imagine if like. Because, you, you know, like in the edit, like, it's like stuff changes on. so yeah, much. Which you have to choose like the right take. I mean, obviously, like, yeah, I don't know. You're working with the puzzle pieces that they give you. So yeah. I mean, it's not like yeah. you're scrubbing and finding. Yeah, there's no it. way. Like, like he looked in the script the and was like, the it's like they, be yeah, they're exactly. giving you the pieces that you need. But also, I would hope that they wouldn't do that. <laughs> you have 51 minutes and 30 seconds to complete yeah. the movie. Um, I definitely th- I want to go back and watch that scene because I I'm almost positive they just show a close up of the watch. And it's a voiceover, which is actually brilliant. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of a cool. I was like, that's pretty neat. I yeah, was like, it could have just been cool. like they planned on doing that and then they edited the movie and then they went back to that spot and it could have like, been figured out how much time and whatever. Okay, yeah. this is what we're going to put on the watch. So yeah. Like, they were like, oh no, we cut a scene. We have to. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, Nick, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with Minority Report? Oh, I think we. We covered it all, yeah. man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate me. it. And I'm excited. You need to get your podcast back up and running. 
because I laughed really hard at all the episodes that I listened to from, from the beginning. If you want funny, super funny, Nick Fain, you got to go listen to the remember when podcast oh, because now I have to start it back up. The first story, <laughs> the first episode you talk about breaking into the, uh, is it silver Lake? Mm-hmm. And I end up not in my backyard. I live there. I, I, li- I was driving somewhere and I was listening to it and I was like, I got to pull over. I was like, I am like laughing. There's like one thing you talk about that I literally was like, I am like going to throw up. I was laughing so hard, <laughs> which is not, that's happens a lot with Nick where I'm like, there's been a couple instances with Nick at like when we've been working together where I'm like, I'm going to puke because I'm laughing so hard. Most of my stories though have to do with like, um, flatulence and, uh, <laughs> using the restroom <laughs> and very childlike humor. But it's perfect. It's, my story. One time I pooped my pants. <laughs> But it's so great. One of my favorite stories about you at the office was like one day the power went out and we, I don't know why we didn't just leave. I think Tony was like, we're sticking around for this amount of time. And then if the power doesn't Get come back your on, we can sketches. Make a video on your edge sketch. <laughs> um, but so we decided to prank call people. I don't know who came up with the idea, but like Joe and I literally like Nick, prank calling these people i was like i have to leave the room i was gonna give it away because i was laughing too hard but um, like joe and i both had to leave it was bad 19 year old intern like, yeah hey guys I, we were sitting I can in entertain the, you. we were sitting in the where your desk is now mm-hmm. like that second half of the upstairs except it was like a different room with the doors and then we had the ping pong table in there yeah. we were all just sitting around the ping pong table and i don't we were like let's prank call people and i Oh my gosh. It's one of the few times in my life that I was like, I was laughing so hard that I literally was like, I have to leave the room because I'm going to throw up because it's that funny. I was like dying. So yeah. But the remember when podcast is like almost as good as that. Like I would, so you gotta, we gotta pimp that. You gotta get that going, man. Yep. I gotta have you on. We can talk about our, we talk about our harrowing near death experience in Mm -hmm. Texas. Oh my gosh. What a story. Um, all right. So Check out the Remember When podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Nick, for coming on the Thanks podcast. It's been in the works for a while. I just had to get my act together. Um, and I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. So It was great. Well, uh, 6.5 stars. 6.5. 6.75 stars. <laughs> yeah. uh, would you rank the drink higher than the movie? Oh, the drink was 10 out of 10. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, definitely. We'll put the drink recipe, obviously, in the, in the show description. So until next time. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. 